You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 123 of Take a Bow. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and this week, as always, we have a very exciting guest for all of you. If you didn't see it by now, we have a very exciting guest who is none other than Laura Bell Bundy, who you know probably as Elle Woods and her performance in Legally Blonde or the search for Elle Woods and all of that fun stuff. But we get to know her today as Laura Bell Bundy, and we have such a incredible talk about the industry, about being a child actor in the industry, and a lot about she's very passionate about women's rights and women's history. So we have a large, long conversation about that today because she started her own little thing called Women of Tomorrow. She has a podcast out. She has like a little brand of social media and all of the things. So we really got into some of that as well, and you all are going to love that conversation and love to hear what she has to say about all of that and she's just a literally a ball of joy and energy and um yeah it, it it's great it's gonna be so fun you all are seriously gonna be so entertained uh through this episode i certainly was and there's still a lot to learn in it so um great stuff but before we turn it over to that as always let's talk about some broadway news shall we I think I'm going to start out this week by talking about some of the shows that I saw, which were very exciting for me. I was able to see a lot of friends this week. Kegabel had a very exciting week, to be completely honest with you. We started our week off Monday at an opening night doing red carpet stuff for The Cost of Living, which is very exciting. It's a wonderful show. Pulitzer Prize winning play. It, it was just fantastic. We talked to the Hadestown director, Rachel Chavkin. We talked to the writer of the show itself. Uh, we didn't get to speak to any of the cast members. They weren't doing anything just for COVID reasons and, and safety and all that thing. But we had uh, so many wonderful guests that we talked to on the carpet. So that'll be an episode that's going to be coming out here soon, probably as a bonus episode, not as like a weekly Thursday episode. So be sure to follow on uh, social media and all the things to find out when that drops. And then we started Tuesday off at Leopoldstadt, which was fantastic. Great show. The performances were ridiculous. Brandon Uranowitz is a literal treasure, like honest to God. He is so brilliant in this in this role and in this production. It was so exciting to see Anthony Rosenthal on stage giving it his all, which is just, it, this show is like crazy. Like for those of you who don't know, like it's about kind of Jewish history and what it was like during the time of Auschwitz and that whole process of, uh, you know, the Nazis coming in and raiding homes and kicking the families out of their homes and sending them to the camp. And it was just, it's wild and it's, it's complicated and it's emotional and all the things. So it's, it's very emotional. And, and the performances that they have to give eight shows a week is just absolutely on another level, breathtaking and all of the things. So 
kudos to all of them. Kudos to to everyone involved. It opened uh, last week, so I was able to see it when it was fairly new, which is exciting. And uh, yeah, it was just, I highly recommend. Um, another show that I saw, I started my Wednesday with the matinee of 1776. Y'all, I did not expect to like the show as much as I did. I don't know why. I figured I would like it, but I didn't think I would love it because the the reviews have not been so strong like what i've seen on social media obviously the opening night is tonight on thursday october 6th so like the official like new york times review and all that aren't um out however like what i've been hearing on from like other people that saw the show either out of town or early on in previews they they didn't love it and they thought it needed work and the pacing was off and all of that but you know what i was entertained the whole time it had my attention the whole time. In the beginning, it was kind of like, okay, where is this going? It, it, it has like, a, it doesn't really pull you into the story right away, but it's entertaining and then it pulls you into the story. So um, the way that it's done, it's brilliant. Diane Paulus has literally mastered the craft of reviving shows and reimagining shows. Um, she's What she did with Pippin was another level, uh, bringing that into a circus and now 1776 having an all-female production um, in this show of a whole, a completely diverse cast. Um, just brilliant, truly brilliant. And, and those women up on that stage are fantastic. Every one of them gave a stellar performance, and you are literally captivated the entire time. And it's interesting that, like, this day and age, it's like you forget that they're playing historic men, you know, because they are they just become it. You know, and it's and it's not hard to imagine women in those type of positions anymore. You know, so you really kind of get lost in the in their performances and the story that they're telling. It's it's wonderful. I'm excited. I'm going to uh, host some red carpet stuff at 1776 tomorrow, October 6th. Probably when you're listening to this, I will be with the cast and creative team and the red carpet and stuff like that, because it's literally from like two 30 to nine, I'm going to be doing stuff at 70, 1776. So I'm very excited for it. And yeah, it's going to be great. So we have a lot of 1776 content coming shortly and I'm so excited to bring it all to you. So stay tuned because now that I saw the show, I'm a huge fan of the show. So you're going to be hearing a lot uh, about it. If you listen to me, on a weekly basis. Okay, moving on, we can move past this. Uh, well, I guess in saying that, I'm going to say happy opening to Cost of Living and 1776, obviously. And then, of course, happy first preview to Almost Famous, who had their first preview this week, which I've heard great things about so far. And uh, yeah, very exciting stuff there. And uh, moving on, we have the parade cast announcement. Holy moly. Did y'all see this? This cast is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you have uh, the Michaela Diamond, the Ben Platt. You had all that announcement before. But now you have Jay Armstrong Johnson, who's a Take About family member. You have Douglas Leones, who's a Take About family member. We have John Dossett, who is in Pippin with me and just a Broadway legend. Uh, we have Eddie Cooper. We have Gaten Matarazzo. We have all of the Howard McGillan, all of these wonderful people, all of these incredibly veteran actors. I mean, this is literally like another Into the Woods. Like City Center is literally becoming a Hollywood Bowl type thing. So 
cannot wait to see the show i already have tickets when i heard ben platt was going to be in it i was like i'm gonna see it and now that you know jay armstrong johnson who's a good friend of mine and then gate Matarazzo, um douglas leones and, and all of these wonderful people that are going to be in it now i i'm just even more excited and this is just going to be amazing i mean i saw that cast announcement and absolutely flipped out because i was like oh my god this is literally everything so there's that go check out the full cast announcement if you haven't already i promise you you will know more than like half of the cast that that is in it and you'll have seen them in something and yeah it's gonna be great so i can't wait to see that moving on to uh, another hot topic this week andrew lloyd weber's bad cinderella announcement Oh my God. And not bad Cinderella as in like a bad Cinderella announcement. No, they've rebranded their show, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella. They've now are calling it bad Cinderella. Interesting move here. Obviously like changing the name of the show that you already did out of town, you know, doing what you got to do. They're obviously they're still working on it and all the things, but uh, they announced it in a really cool way that uh, the star of the show, who w- will be playing Bad Cinderella, her name is Linady Hano, and she spray painted the new title herself. So she like spray painted the board bad right in front of it, and now that's like their logo. Um, it's really cool. And then like Cinderella's dress is like the A. It's really cute. I thought it was really cute. And Linady is going to be fantastic in this role. She was in On Your Feet and she was in Dear Evan Hansen and all the things. And she's actually currently revisiting On Your Feet right now at, over at Paper Mill Playhouse. So very cool. They announced uh, that February 17th of 2023, obviously, will be their first preview and then opening night will be on march 23rd and it will be at the imperial theater not at the majestic like some people speculated but yeah it was a great announcement and it's a hot conversation right now just with everything that went on over uh overseas i guess i could say uh with the production of cinderella and maybe that is why they like rebranded a bit just to like kind of move past and kind of separate the bad rap they kind of got uh i don't know how to say that in a nice way but yeah over overseas just because the financial issues and in the way that they handled the closing and all of that stuff so it's so exciting to see a latina performer playing cinderella hopefully we can get her on the show to talk about it um and her career she's gonna be so good and i'm so excited for it so that's all the news I have for you folks this week. And uh, without further ado, I think we should just turn it over to the episode itself with the wonderful Laura Bell Bundy. Laura Bell Bundy, curtain up. This week's guest can do it all. She is an actress, a recording artist, songwriter, director, producer, and so much more. She's been nominated for awards such as Tony Award, Drama Desk Award, and Outer Critics Award. You may know her as Elle Woods, Glinda, and many other iconic characters on both the stage and the screen, but today, we get to learn about the woman behind them all. Everyone, welcome to Take a Bow, Laura Bell Bundy. Hi. Hi guys! Oh my goodness! Hi, Laura. This is so exciting. I'm. I can't wait to talk to you about everything. Literally, your career is so cool. You've played literally some of the most iconic characters on Broadway. Literally, like oh, it's yeah, it's amazing. So I'm. I'm very excited that you were able to to come on here today. Uh, the way I usually like to start my episodes is asking people, you know, how they got started in the industry and what inspired them to want to be a performer and tell stories. 
So, well, I don't know if I really had a choice in the matter. So (laughs) I'm from Kentucky. And when you're from Kentucky, it's just sort of a rite of passage to do a pageant, especially if you were born in the 80s. And so when I was five, I, I did a pageant and I won, and I won a new car. And then, you know, because giving a, a five-year-old oh car is just, you know, the most rational next step. Um, but so I end up winning this thing. And then a month later, you know, my mom gets this call that the Phil Donahue show, which is this panel show that you're too young yeah, to is. understand. <laughs> it's like it was like what Oprah did before she did her other talk show before right. she had her network and the whole thing. And Joe Rivers did one. It was just kind of a thing, right? Oh, People okay. did their pan- panel shows, but Phil Donahue was like the one. And it was always serious things. So he was going to do a whole episode on children's pageants. And they offered this all expense paid trip to New York City. So my mom was like, oh, my God, we got to go to New York. We got to get new clothes. And And so we went to New York. We stayed at the Sheridan Hotel on 7th Avenue. I went to Lindy's and had cheesecake. I did all the things. We go on the Phil Donahue show. It ends up it's like a full expose of children's pageants. They invite a child psychologist there. The audience turns on all the parents and is like, I can't believe you're doing this to your daughter, blah, blah, blah. And then I, you know, I end up actually grabbing Phil Donahue's mic and trying to defend myself um, at five. I'm like, oh my God, you know what? I had some cojones as like a little kid. But so anyway, we left. My mom was like, I can't believe we came all the way out here. And so my mom was like, going to shine the turd, if you will. As my father says- we like to take chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I love that. My mom waltzes me over to Ford Modeling Agency. And at the time, Eileen Ford was really big. And she had seen this like 60-minute special on her and um, and how she had made Chrissy Brinkley and Brooke Shields and all of these, these mm. you know, big 80s models. And so she waltzes me over there and she's like, I'm here to see the children's division. And they said, well, ma'am, you you know, you need, do you have an appointment? And she's like, well, no, but this is Miss Pee Wee Hemisphere. And if you're going to meet her, you're going to need to meet her now because we're leaving tomorrow. And they're like, okay. So the guy calls up. He's like, "Uh, yeah, we have a crazy lady at the front desk. Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, yeah, the kid's cute. Yeah, okay. So they let us up. They let us wow. up and they signed me to a five-year contract on oh, the yeah. spot. And then my mom goes, well, we don't live here. We live in Kentucky. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh. well, there's this thing called summer kids and you can come up just for the summer and mm. you can, you know, do modeling and stuff like that. So the idea was that I was going to be there in the summer and I was going to do modeling. So then we walk back to where we're staying near the Times Square area. And my mm. mom is like, well, hey, we'll go see a Broadway show. So she walks into the Palace Theater oh, and um, and she says, oh, I need your best and cheapest ticket. So we got a box seat um, yeah. where I can still smell the metal bar that I was oh, leaning against to try to see the show, which was Starlight Express. And the funny thing is, it's like literally 22 years later, Almost exactly the same time of year, I starred in that same theater in Legally Blonde. Yeah. That's Isn't that crazy? crazy? So um, what happened is I began to come to New York in the summers as a summer kid and do the mm-hmm. modeling and all that. And my mom, because I loved the, seeing Starlight Express so much, and I was involved in my children's theater at home in Kentucky, and I was sure. taking dance and all the things and doing dance competitions as as you do. Mm-hmm. Um that when we came to New York, it was like, let me just put 
all of my training on super speed. So she would like go to Broadway Dance Center and harass um, the the teachers to teach me privates. She (laughs) found out who was the singing coach for all the Cosettes and Les Mis. And then I had I had, uh, you know, lessons with them. And I did audition for Les Mis about three times. And about after the second time I went, they basically is like, ma'am, you got to stop dressing your daughter like a drag queen. She's not up for Fontaine. Oh. She's, up. <laughs> She's not dressed like a prostitute. You've got to, you've got to dress her like a child, like Cosette. So then I, I believe she put like eyeshadow on my face for my audition to make me look like I, um, you know, I had uh, dirt on my face. But anyway, needless to say, I never got Les Mis. But I um, I continued to have this training in the summer. And eventually, uh, I got another agent to do like commercials and acting stuff mm-hmm. because I had been doing this training in the summer. And um, and I had some close, like I was very close to getting Will Rogers Follies and I was really close to getting see, yes. and I was really close to all these things. And finally, uh, when I was nine, I got Radio City Music Hall's Christmas Spectacular. Yes. And that was my first professional gig in New York. And I think, you know, the interesting thing, like you asked, like, what made you want to do this? And I think there's, you know, as a person who starts as a child, they have to ask themselves at different points in their life, do I still want to do this? And I do, why am I doing this? And the reasons change. Mm -hmm. When you're younger, you're doing this because your parent is like, hey, do this. Right. And then, and you do what your parents say. But I think, you know, as I look back to the type of child I was, I was very precocious and I was a mimic. Like I would watch uh, The Sound of Music and then I would literally sing the songs exactly like Julie Andrews. Oh my God. Watch Wizard of Oz and do every single character. Absolutely. Um, You know, I am a gay man trapped in the body of John Bonet. Yes. um, So I, I had it in me and I think my mom saw that even though she had her own stars and rides. I mean, she's literally like Dolly Parton meets Mama Rose. That's my mother. Oh my like, God. Give you, a ment- give you like a mental image, okay? I kind of envision that. I love that. It makes sense. Um, And so she has like that fierceness of Mama Rose with like, like Southern charm and the big blonde hair and boobs. Um, oh my God. So, you know, I think as I have gotten older and I've sort of reevaluated every step of the way, like, okay, you know, now I'm a teenager, I'm going to go back to high school and I'm going to have a normal high school life in, in, in Kentucky. I'm going to run track. I'm going to play soccer. I'm going to do the school play. I'm just going to try to be normal. Now that's a hard thing to do when, you know, your first gay pride parade was it. Right. Okay. It's a really hard thing to try to jam this sort of, I don't know. What do you say? Uh, Just like completely different cultures in New York and Kentucky. Exactly. To try to take this sort of open-minded young child and put her back into a closed-minded Southern environment, which by the way, I I actually, I didn't enjoy the closed-mindedness of it all, but I I absolutely loved having the normalcy of of high school. And that was so important even to my acting career as things got along further because I realized, you know, as an actor, if an actor only has experiences of being an actor in their life, they can't play all the characters. They have to have normal life experiences. So I'm grateful for all of that. And uh, and then I, I think, you know, I applied to go to college. I did not go apply to go to school for acting. Mm-hmm. I applied for sociology and psychology uh, oh, to go to NYU, and I, uh, and then of course I dropped out because I I ended up auditioning for a soap opera. <laughs> oh my god! So, um, 
Yeah. So then I think there was another choice happened, right? So here I was at 18. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to school for something that isn't acting. And then I get this acting opportunity. And that's when I make this choice between school and and my acting career. And then I kept doing it again. Like when I, when I did hairspray, I went to school during the day. So Mm. I was always like, is this still going to be, is this what I'm going to be when I grow up? And I think that the answer is yes and no, because Mm. I love nothing more than performing live on a stage. That's so fun to me. And there's like, that's a spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an addictive experience. I think most performers would agree. Um, there's just nothing like it. And that's why you keep coming back because you're this, this beautiful exchange of love from the audience. And For it's sure. this sort of cyclical thing. And by the end of it, everybody's high. And so you crave that, <laughs> you know, you crave that drug. Um, and I realized that I did, I needed that. And I needed to have a place of self-expression and I needed to have a place where I play. Yeah. But I think the way that I play has evolved, you know, and, uh, you know, we do plays because we play. We play music because we want to play. Mm-hmm. For me, I just realized I never really wanted to grow up. And so that's why I think my career has, has not just been acting. It's been like, oh, sure. now I'm going to write music or now I'm going to direct things. Let me see what else I can do inside of mm-hmm. this playful, artistic career. Because, you know, a person gets bored. You want to try new things. Exactly. Right? That's so fascinating. That It's like... I mean, it's not like similar to mine, but it's like the thought process around it all of just like, you know, kind of figuring it all out as you go is just like, and then the industry pulling you back in and all of that, like, so fascinating to hear. And it's, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, it's just a relatable story, I feel. So that's really cool that that's like how it all kind of really got started. Um, Did you ever like, out of curiosity, like, were you ever told in the industry, like, you can't have an accent. Like, did you ever have like a Southern accent? Cause I don't hear it right now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble, betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, when I was little, I did. I had a Southern accent, and I when we were told like it's not going to work. There's no way she's going to book a commercial or do these get these parts with a Southern accent. But because I I'm an auditory learner, and because I'm a mimic, I could mimic Mm. other accents. So it was easy for me to lose it, honestly. And the singing training helped that. Um, If you hear these videos of me at like four or five, where I'm like. My name is Orville Bundy, you know. So it's easy for me to slip back into Southern more than any other accent. Um, That's the easy one. I play a lot of Southern characters. They're very, like, inside of me. Sure. Um, But then, you know, I lived in New York from the time I was 9 to 14. So by the end of that, I started to have an accent like this, you know. (laughs) Right. 
It's like, crazy. Wherever I go, I tend to like, I'm one of those people that like show up in like England and, and five <laughs> days later be speaking with a British accent and not be able to right. stop. Um, oh so it, it, fortunately, it wasn't that hard to okay. uh, to adjust, but yeah. but I did have to make the adjustment. Yes. That's fascinating because literally I was thinking like while you were doing like your mom and everything, I was like, she literally doesn't sound like she's from Kentucky. Like it just doesn't just sound that way. It's so cool. Anyways, we'll move on. That's fascinating. And your journey here and through the career is pretty phenomenal. Honestly, it's just a crazy experience with like, I don't know, just like doing it for since you were a little kid and then like having that um, opportunity to reflect on yourself and be like, okay, is this what I want to do? What was that like? Because was that kind of like your first decision of like whether or not I can decide what I want to do? Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, again, I think every step of the way and as mm-hmm. I grew grew up and I could say to my mom, like, I'm not really interested in doing that. I want to go to high school sure. now. You know, I, I, I want to take a, a break and she kind of thought that was a good idea too. And what a normalcy for me, you know, to put things in perspective when I did Ruthless uh, 10 and mm-hmm. 11, Britney Spears was my understudy. Oh my God. Yeah. And uh, and then after her, Natalie Portman. Now these are two people that in, you know, during high school, they they were becoming superstars. Sure. So that, that there's great things about that. And there's really damaging things about that as we can right. now see. And so I think my mom had the wherewithal at that time to go, I, I think she needs to have a normal childhood. I think she needs to not make mistakes in public. I think we need to pull back yeah. a little and and have and have family and and focus on schoolwork and all of that. Because again, you know, we didn't know, my mom and I didn't know that I would grow up to be an actress. I was just right. an actress now. And so, you know, having those four years of going to high school and I was kind of like dip my toe. I would do a pilot here. I would do an episode of this or I would do a play or whatever. And I would, I would pop out and do things like in the summer. (laughs) But then that, that decision to go to college in New York was an interesting one because I knew Mm -hmm. that that is where I had been working as an actress Mm -hmm. and I knew New York so well. And I had done a play right around the corner from NYU. And so there was like, it was almost like going to school at my second home. Um, and I had agents already. So they were like, oh, you're here. Fantastic. You're back. So we'll send you out the summer before I started college. And then I ended up getting this job and I was excited about it and I wanted it. And I think to know that like, okay, what do I feel inside of my body? My body is telling me and all my emotions are telling me this is a hell yes. (laughs) And, uh, and I was, you know, honestly, I was kind of burnt out from school. A little bit. Mm. I think a lot of people are like we start kids at three years old and then we're like, hey, you got to be here for like 25 years. You right. know, it's like, oh, my God, I'm just tired of listening. People yell at me and tell me no, what really. I need to know. Why don't I go out and experience and learn right. from my experience? And then I really became a student, you know, of mm. life and a student of uh, of acting. And again, yeah, my educational process through about acting is very different than a lot of people's as well, because I didn't graduate as school for acting, um, mm. even though I teach at colleges now. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, but it was more like learn by 
trial and error. You know, let's get on stage and see if this joke works tonight. Nope, didn't work tonight. Let's try it a different way tomorrow. Oh, now it works. Now I learned something. Let me store that in my brain. Now I know this type of delivery for this type of line and this kind of rhythm. This is what's going to work in the future. So that was how my process was. Or let me watch these other amazing actors that I have the privilege of working next to that are Tony nominated or Tony winners while I'm 12 years old. And um, let me just take every tool they have and put it in my own toolbox. So it was a very different thing. But again, it was a decision and it was a decision based on feeling. And um, maybe in my mind, what was the smartest thing to do was, you know, to go to school for psychology and pursue that in my body. Um, I was an idiot. And so I needed, I needed an outlet for that type of self-expression. And that was acting and music, you know? Wow. Yeah, for sure. And then soon after, I mean, you mentioned you, you were doing your Broadway debut, Hairspray, uh, while you were doing school. So what was that experience like? Did you go back to school? What was, what yeah, was all so that? I had developed, I had begun developing Hairspray when I was 19. I wow. did the very first reading of Hairspray when we only had one act. Um, and we were in this like weird rehearsal studio on Second Avenue above a church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think there were like holes in the floorboards. It was it was crazy. But what? we Harvey was there, Marissa was there, Dick Latessa was there, Jen Gambatisse, um, uh, oh. Katie Leonard, um, James Carpinello was our link. I mean, there were, and Linda Hart. Oh. Um, so many of our original cast members were at that. And so that, and I was doing the soap opera at the time, but just happened to have the week off to be able to do. Oh wow! The reading, That's and crazy. then I did three. Two other readings. There were three. One I couldn't do because of my soap opera schedule. Mm. And then I left the soap. Um, and and did the uh, and did the the last uh, reading of hairspray. Okay. And then from there, you know, it went. So I I definitely I was. I had done rehearsals. We had opened Hairspray. We had been going for, we had opened in the summer. So the second semester of that year, so after about six months after we were opened, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to school during the day. Because in my mind, I was just 21. So in my mind, my dad was still there, like a woman needs an education, blah, blah, blah. My father, you know, had three daughters and raised them all like men. And that we had to be, you know, financially independent. And we had to be you know, thinking for ourselves and we had to be educated and we had, you know, that was, that was a thing. Yeah. I get that, that Southern mentality. <laughs> yes. I don't I'm actually like, think that is a Southern mentality. Most no? people, at that time, you know, my, my, my mother was, uh, she was born in 54 and she graduated college in 72 and she had okay. a younger brother. She was not encouraged to go to college, but her younger brother was. So oh, you know, right. that, but for my father to be the type of father and I was the youngest to be like, but have you graduated college yet? You know, that was what I believe that he really wanted was for me to be educated and wise. And I actually think he was going against the grain for a lot of men in the South. Oh, okay. Interesting. That's, I mean, hopefully times have changed because like, I don't know. I, I, yes, I guess times I haven't... have changed. Now yeah. women graduate college than men. Exactly. Um, although now with things, uh, you know, with Roe v. Wade being overturned, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. But mm. um, 
but we have definitely evolved. Um, there were times when women were not even allowed to go to certain universities. Um, right. It was expected for women to, to you know, to be, take secretarial positions and do sort of associate training versus actually four years of college to become an expert at something. Mm. Um, so we, you will see the numbers really going up from the time that women were able to take birth control, with, but that single women weren't able to take birth control legally until about 72 or 73. And that is also when Roe v. Wade was enacted. So that meant that women had control over how they could um, – you know, plan their family or not have a kid or whatever. So that meant the more women were going to college and finishing college and entering the workforce in the 80s. Right. And there was a, you know, if you look back at pop culture and the type of movies that have, were coming out in the 80s, a lot were women entering the workforce. You have nine to five. Right. You have uh, the baby boomer. Uh, mm. You have a Diane Keaton movie about working and having a kid and, you know, all of that becoming this thing. And then, in, and then we have normalized women in the workplace since. Yes. Um, but that, so. <laughs> anyway, that was like the big yes. change, you know, historically. And that's why this decision with Roe v. Wade is so much more impactful than you may realize, because right. as a result of us having sort of this bodily autonomy and freedom, that's mm -hmm. why women have been able to be valued for what they have to offer mentally right. in our society. You know, what are the businesses that women have started since then? What are the doctors that have been educated since then that are women that are coming up with cures for cancer? You know, yeah. um, when we look at women as just being incubators to have children uh, versus valuing them for what else they can offer society, then right. we actually lose as a society. So we have a lot, uh, a lot more at risk than people actually right. realize as yeah. a society. People so concerned about losing money, honey, you're going to lose money if you take women out of the workforce. Uh-oh. Preach. Oh my God. Um, no, it's, it's true. And I derail us a minute. <laughs> no, no, let's, like, let's talk about it because this is something I know that you're very passionate about because you started a whole, you started an album and a podcast surrounding it. It called Women of Tomorrow. So talk to me about Women of Tomorrow and kind of how this really all comes together and just like how you got so passionate about this to make this art from it. You know, I got to tell you, I think I just woke up one day and, and I, I hit my head on the glass ceiling. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, also seeing the fact that, you know, in, in the 2016 election, sort of seeing how Hillary Clinton was vilified, even though she was mm. qualified and how this person who wasn't qualified won and, <laughs> you know, and you go like, and he, and he also like talked about his, you know, his sexually assaulting women and grabbing them by the hoo-ha. Um, right. <laughs> and, and so I, I'm kind of, I was like, wait, my brain hurts. I can't figure out how this happened. Wait, right. do we still live in a society that is so sexist? And have mm -hmm. we elected someone who thinks that this type of sexual assault is commonplace? And this is very concerning. And so as someone who is not a women's history historian, right. who really like, thought that we had equality, I was, I, I, it was like a record scratch in my life. Mm -hmm. And I decided I was like a lot of women. I mean, this is when the, you know, uh, we had the largest women's march that we've had since you know, this, the seventies and women coming together shortly after we had the me too movement and times up. That was the wave 
that was the wave that women got on was that election to realize, oh, wow, these freedoms that we enjoy today, these were hard fought. These can be easily lost. We got to come together as sisters. Mm. We got to shine a light on this because we thought it was over, but it isn't over. We actually still do not have that equality yet. And we and what equality we do have, uh, we got to protect. So I was one of those women, you know, nothing unusual. And um, I, of course, went to the Women's March. But then I thought, you know, I want to do you know, we can march, but you ain't heard nothing until you hear us sing. We are going to literally raise our voices. So I did this concert called Double Standards because the double standard is what became, was so glaring to me. And Uh so Broadway stars came together to sing a duet on a jazz standard. You know, I love puns. Legend. You can just call me Laura Bell Pundy. That is like, I love a pun. Um, Not you adding a pun to your name. So we, so we did the double standards concert at the town hall in the city. Uh And, um, and we had like Sarah Bareilles and Rosie O'Donnell and Anna Gasteyer and Eden Espinosa and Lena Hall and all these uh, Danae Benton, and it was just, and Ingrid Michaelson, it was this amazing, incredible group of women who came together to sing. And we raised over $100,000 for ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and National Breast Cancer Coalition. Wow. But the whole point was we can march, but we're singing, and we're mm-hmm. literally raising our voices. And in that moment, um, I, uh, I, I produced and directed this show, not actually something I had done <laughs> Before, I'll be honest. Oh, wow. Um, at that time. And, right. And, and then, so I was writing with Kate Weatherhead. I don't know if you uh, do know Kate Weatherhead. I um, she's, uh, she's an actor. She was in Legally Blonde with me, and now she's writing the book for uh, Devil Wears Prada. Oh, very cool. Um, but she was right, and she, she writes the show. Um, the people are auditioning submissions only. Submissions, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that show. Okay, so yeah, submissions only. So she wrote that. So we were buddies. And, and I knew we both kind of cared about, you know, female equality. So she right. wrote the intros with me and we were starting to insert facts about women. And one of the facts was women were not able to open a credit card or tank out a bank loan without the permission of their husband or father until 1972. Oh, or, wow. Was it 73? One of them. Right. So I was like, what? That's not that far off. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, what birth control in any form wasn't legal until the 70s for single women? What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So then I started really, I started realizing how much I didn't know about my own history as a woman. And I started realizing how every little freedom that I'm enjoying was like fought for hard by women who kind of lost it all to make those freedoms happen for me. And I was taking them for granted. Sure. And I thought, well, I'm a pretty educated person. I'm pretty well-read and thoughtful. How is it that I don't know these things or I'm not taught these things? Well, first of all, we don't teach women's history like it needs to be taught in schools. Right. We we teach everybody about Cleopatra and we sexualize her. And we talk about, yeah. you know, suffragist movement. But we don't actually um, really teach it how it properly was. That it came There's on the heels of the abolitionist, abolitionist movement with black women really leading the charge because they right. had – they had been advocating for their own rights, and uh, and then they didn't end up getting the vote. Right, <laughs> like you know, it took it took another forty five years. Um, so these are the things that we don't 
that we sort of have brushed under the rug. And if you look at the totality of women's existence in um, our country, not in the mm-hmm. not in the our, our, not in the world, because we you know existence has been billions of years, but You're right, um, but in the last couple of thousand years, um, women were essentially indentured servants, mm. um, providing services um, to wow. humanity. And, um, and their bodies were their currency. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, we have to kind of never forget that. (laughs) Right. Um, and so I just thought, wow, people don't know a lot. So I, I, I I feel like I'm getting a whole history lesson right now. (laughs) So I'm, but again, I'm not a historian. I just started doing the work and I started doing the research and I decided, you know, let me see if there's any women's history documentaries. I couldn't find anything. Um, That and like you go to the History Channel and it's all like ancient aliens. Okay, you're Who not cares? covering women, but you're covering something that may not actually exist. Right. Aliens, and that is your priority. Like mm-hmm. what? And when yeah. you and when you talk about Cleopatra, which by the way is the one that they always talk about, it you sexualize her in a way that makes her salacious and interesting to watch. Right. And the truth is, she was kind of homely, but of course they leave that out. So, um. So I decided I was going to create a women's history show. And how okay. do I create a women's history show? Well, it's a musical. It's a sketch comedy variety show. Yes, <laughs> you know? it has to be. And so I sold this show to Freeform Network. Um, and then, uh, and of course, we wrote it and the whole thing and didn't end up going. But that was the beginning of it. And then I ended up doing the album Women of Tomorrow, where every song addresses a different issue women are facing today. But it is done like an mm-hmm. MGM movie musical. So it seems like fun and exciting and beautiful and like, you know, um, singing in the rain. But we're putting in these subver- subversive and modern messages about women. And um, so that's the album Women of Tomorrow. And from there, so I do... I do the podcast on Broadway Podcast Network, The Women yes. of Tomorrow, where we delve deeper into those issues that are on the songs and we invite a guest in um, to, you know, speak to how we can move forward. Mm-hmm. And we delve into the history of of all of the issues. Um, and then I um, started a foundation called Women of Tomorrow. Wow. Um, and so we're dedicated to changing the social consciousness around women's worth through art, education, and community. And we help women activate their activism. And we're working on um, starting a community where we help women not only do that, but activate what is called innervism, which is um, the mind, body and spirit of activism. So believing Mm -hmm. that you are worthy of the quality, the equality that you're seeking. Mm -hmm. And how do you do this? Well, you strengthen weak areas in your life. Um, Right. Because those will add to the worthiness, you know, strengthening weak areas like your outlook. You know, with women, we struggle with okay. uh, an inferiority complex because society is constantly throwing that in our face, that we're inferior to men. And so we struggle with that in regards to our own worthiness and our own value. And uh, when women believe that or they stop believing that that is real and that that exists. Um, right then that internal work helps the external world work. It's like mm-hmm. healing yourself before you heal, heal the world kind of idea. So right. that's what we're working towards. So if anybody wants to know anything about women's history yes. or about the issues that women are facing today or is interested in getting involved with Women of Tomorrow, we obviously have our podcast, but we're on Instagram and we're on TikTok. 
And I'm kind of an insane person on TikTok with the history videos, okay? Oh my God, it's um, so good. Some it's have so accents. Good. And we just started it a few weeks ago, the TikTok. Tell them the, the username. Yeah, it's at Women of Tomorrow, but we spell it with an X. Um, so it's W-O-M-X-N of Tomorrow because it's anybody who identifies as a woman. Because we inclusive when it right. comes to female equality. Um, and I also believe in... In general, you know, when we talk about gender roles, um, you know, as a society, we can become trapped by the uh, gender roles, like this idea that a man must be a certain Mm -hmm. way and, you know, must be a provider and must be strong and cannot cry and must not express emotionally and all these different things. And a woman must be demure and quiet and sweet and um, take a subservient role, must do the housework and all these sort of ideas imprison us and they actually keep us from being who we are authentically are and who we are meant to be. So when we empower women to be all they can be, we actually end up empowering men to do the same. And then Mm -hmm. we end up being a more free um, society who can communicate with each other properly. I mean, I, I, I just witnessed like problems in people's relationships because of the masculine feminine sort of struggle that's going on and men's inability to, um, speak vulnerably Mm -hmm. that that's going to show some sort of weakness. And, um, and when we can kind of like alleviate those ideas, we're going to have much stronger relationships much more right. alive experiences in life. We're going to be able to live. Right. You know, instead of just walking into essentially a scripted role. Yeah. Um, wow. This conversation, literally, you're you're an inspiration, truly. Like, I, I feel like I listen to your podcasts all the time. Like, I love them. And then I love the, of course, I've listened to the album too. So, like, literally, I feel like not only will you be entertained, but at the same time, you'll be learning and you'll be educating yourself. Like you'll be doing something good for yourself and society through you. And like the fact that you've given society that like is so, it's so like well appreciative. And like, I wish that like I had the words to describe it. Just what you're doing is just so good. And I thank you on behalf of like everyone who who listens to it and appreciates it like thank you for giving us that space you know to to really learn and because you said we're not gonna progress if we don't educate ourselves you know like it just repeats history repeats Repeats itself itself, right and so like without things like this and outlets and platforms like this like you are giving us that space to learn and you're not and you're not doing it through like an old white man history teacher which is so lovely um so yeah that's, yeah we that's- have we have absolutely you know and when go when i think about history books and stuff i read they, right. they were all whitewashed and they were like man washed yeah. it like you know oh my god the, so what bad. i have learned through this research is history is written by those who won history right <laughs> Right. So yeah, not much more. So so much more because not many people want it. You know, I mean, let's 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 actually talk about that whole side of it that's missing. Um, Mm -hmm. And let's also talk about why we're here in the first place. Are we really here to dominate and conquer and be powerful? Yes. Or are we here to evolve? Right. And live. So yeah, can't 
can't uh, agree with you more here. And you said that you have the foundation and everything. Like, why don't you just drop everything? Like, tell me how you can find everything because people are going to want to follow up on this and just follow the journey of Women of Tomorrow. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So uh, womenoftomorrow.org, uh, same way we spell it, W-O-M-X-N of tomorrow.org is our website. Mm -hmm. Um, it's our, the same on Instagram, the same on TikTok. But if you follow me at Laura Bell Bundy, I have (laughs) links in in my bio on Instagram or, you know, whatever. And I'm, I'm reposting things all the time. We use our Instagram to educate, um, to give Mm -hmm. information about issues, about how you can take action, um, or just, you know, general education things about women's issues and women's history. We use the TikTok as sort of what I call infotainment um, Mm -hmm. or hysterical history. Um, We try to make light and have fun uh, with women's history, giving you the facts in an entertaining way. And, um, and, you know, that's what I really think. um, And and really the, the, the true initiation of women of tomorrow, besides me just sort of I, I honestly think I literally woke up and w- one day and was like, this is all I care about. And this is my mission. And Aww. so, but what I've realized is that the first half of my life was dedicated to learning how to entertain hmm. and was dedicated to learning how to make people laugh right. and how to make them listen. And right. then, you know what the wrong way to make people listen is? To yell at them and shame them. Facts. Oh my God. It's the wrong way. The right way is through empathy. And how do we Mm -hmm. do that as artists? We use music and we use humor and we use comedy. And so our, you know, through our music and while some of it might be a little breachy, I got to (laughs) say, um, through our music, through comedy sketches, through this kind of thing, by creating this entertainment that you're also still learning that's what we, you know, though art is a heart opener. 
Right. And until you open the heart, you cannot change the mind. And so that's what I would say to anybody out there who is trying to accomplish change is that you have to figure out the way that you can be listened to, Mm. you know, and that is through opening the heart, through empathy and through understanding and through music and through comedy and this universal language that we all speak. Um, So that's sort of really where women of tomorrow lies is in the root of the, the message, but, but also getting to the message in an artistic way. And, you know, if you look at all art, right, if you look at Broadway overall, Right. When you go, there are messages in there for you. Mm-hmm. This is the author's version of activism. Oh my gosh, let's talk about hairspray. Hairspray right. was activism on stage. You walked away and you're singing, you can't stop the beat. But really right. that's telling you, you will not be able to stop progress, period. Don't even try. Mm-hmm. That's what it's saying. Yeah. You know, it's uniting us no matter what color we are, no matter the shape of our bodies. But that six-year-old didn't know that. They were just singing and dancing. And those kids from North Carolina and that family who came to see that show, who grew up with all around systemic racism that they did not realize, goes and sees this show, it's my favorite show of all time. It is going to sink in over time. But you look at all of these shows that we have and plays that we have, and, and Broadway is, you know, at the edge in the foot pushing progress forward because artists are connected to storytelling and storytelling involves understanding Mm. all perspectives and having an actor's job is to be empathetic. That's their whole job is to internalize the feelings of another. And, um, so I think as artists, we do have a uh, a gift, but we also have a responsibility to make progress, you know? So, right. you know, Nina Simone said an artist's duty is to reflect the times. I'm basically saying the, the same. Yeah. No, for sure. You're you're 100% right, truly. Um, well, for time's sake, I, I need to talk to you about Legally Blonde. Okay. Um, before, we, before I let you go. This this show, you your performance in this show was just absolutely incredible. Seriously. And I never got to see it live, but I'm so glad that you guys like filmed a movie and like a pro shot of it. Um how did like what was that like filming a pro shot of like a musical? Did you have to like change anything for the cameras so that like you could kind of like fit it in, I guess? Like what was just the the whole journey of Legally Blonde? Talk to me about it. Well, it's interesting, you know. We had obviously been doing the show for you know a couple of months before this right. opportunity um, to film it for MTV happened, and it was a like, how are we going to do this? So they brought in a director yeah. who is an expert at sort of like live shows, like you know awards shows and things like that. So the same way like the Tonys get shot, and you know when the Tonys especially were at the Beacon Theater and a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you basically have the cameras in a multi-camera situation going on out in the audience. But we did an additional show with no audience there before the show got there, like the day before or the day of the, the pro shot. I don't remember which, but nobody was there and the cameras were on stage. Wow. 
So we kind of had to be aware of the fact we kind of had to scrunch, you know, those people that were on like 12 had to go to right. 10, you know, we had to kind of scrunch in. And then they had like, um, we, we stopped at one moment and I remember the camera f- coming towards me during positive following oh me. So they got all these cool additional angles during right. that time with no audience. And wow. then they also had audio as well. Um, Mm -hmm. because now here's the thing when they did that pro shot, first of all, everybody that came to that was in the audience for free. Oh, wow. Okay. So they, MTV had said, Hey, come get free tickets of the pro. These people were crazy. They were all in pink and screaming like this was the Beatles or something. Oh my God. It was none of us. We couldn't hear the orchestra. They were so loud. The end of so much better. Somebody actually posted this. I I went totally flat on the live record because I could not hear myself or the orchestra. It was what? So the other good thing about shooting it during the day is that you had all that audio without Mm. any laughter or clapping or screaming or whatever. And you could actually mix and bounce because if we had just shot it and aired it, you want to be able to hear us. The people were insane. It was a crazy, wow. it was one of the craziest shows we ever did. People were crazy. Yeah. And the other thing that happens is when actors are experiencing an audience that is going that nuts for them, they mm-hmm. start pulling oh, tricks yeah. out and milking the cow, if you know what I mean, for the jokes. Oh, yeah. And they, they become aware of themselves. And so there was a lot of that crazy choices going on too. And so I think because we had filmed it without an audience there, we could have kind of both takes of like the crazy, insane performance where the audience is like literally putting us on lithium. And, oh my God. and the one that is a little bit more grounded. And, uh, you know, we can, we can kind of see Brilliant. what happens there. There's like a little, <laughs> I did have one of my best, I had two of my best friends out in the audience. And one, no there's an inside joke. And oh. I'm not going to tell you what it is because okay. it's well, kind of dirty. But, oh, okay. um, but it made it made the recording. I did something. No way. I made like a noise and I did something for my friend in the audience. And you just hear him in the silence go. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, my God. So that's so that good. It's been immortalized forever. Everyone has to go back now and watch it and look for that part now. Uh, anyway, inside joke. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was fun. And, you know, and it, it's a crazy thing. And he, it was actually, you know, besides, I don't know if you ever saw like the PBS version of uh, Peter Pan with Sandy Duncan. I always watched or Pinocchio yeah. or any of these things. Went to the woods on mm. PBS. I always watched these growing up. Um But the first modern day version of that was Legally Blonde. This modern day version Mm -hmm. of like a live taping of a musical was was our show way before its time. And um, and I have to say, you know, most actors of Broadway shows are not, you know, they don't go on to be recognized forever for their work um, Mm. because it's it's actually not taped and immortalized forever right but i have eight-year-olds that come up to me and they're like oh my god i'm obsessed with you and i'm like you were not alive right, did right. <laughs> in fact, oh i'm not god. sure your parents were no <laughs> but you know so it, it's it's uh it's a it's a crazy crazy thing by the way i'm not that old i'm making a joke <laughs> um 
You're 20. <laughs> yeah, I'm 27 forever. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, that's so good. But no, seriously, I I wish more shows did that because like if I wouldn't, I would have never gotten the chance to see Legally Blonde. You know, like if if it wasn't for that MTV like taping of it, um, I wish that you know there's so there's so much Broadway history that I wish I was able to experience that I never was able to because I wasn't around or wasn't in New York at the time. Like, you know, it's crazy. Um, but w- one more question. Like, you, I mean, the show is just a massive hit. And you, your performance in the show was ridiculous. And it earned you all of these nominations for, like, awards. And you were doing all kind of press. And, you like, life was crazy. Like, I can't imagine what life was like for you during that run. Like, how were you able to just, like, you know, stay, like, fresh enough to do the show eight times a week and be able to balance your regular life and then like just doing all of the award shows and all the things like how did you balance it you know it's interesting you know as actors we don't work a nine to five yeah right our balance is different than the average person's balance Mm. and uh, what i've noticed for me is that there are times of intensity and there's times of rest Mm. and in the years i developed legally blonde I would have a really intense week or a couple of weeks developing the show, and then I'd have rest. And then, uh, and in doing the show, trying to get to balance was ne- was never a goal. Oh. Trying to get to perfection was. And if you want perfection in life, you got to work your effing ass off for it, yeah. and you got to expect that the rest is not going to be a part of the equation. So I just gave up balance. Yeah, my relationships went to shit. And, but I did this show every day and I, Mm -hmm. you know, and I worked my butt off. What I, what I look back and realize is I could have taken rest more inside of those days. I could have said no a little bit more, but I was young Mm -hmm. and had a lot of pressure on me and I didn't know what was going to burn me out. I'm a type of, performer too that goes really hard like I you know I'll give like 150% and go through the wall and then look back and realize I got bloody and I didn't know that while I was going through the wall and Mm -hmm. and um so I definitely have learned a lot in retrospect from that experience um what I had to do was in the beginning it was easy because you're fresh right you're fresh off rest right so your body but when your body is doing these same things over and over again and your voice is hitting these notes in the same way every night it's essentially like overworking a muscle right you have to give it rest and so I had I realized oh okay yeah now I can't go out with my friends after the show and I can't go to dinner before the show and I'm going to have to be completely quiet during a five show weekend and I'm only going to be able to so you really start to address the way so for me I was I felt like my job my responsibility was to show up to do this show to the best of my ability every night and everything else suffered as a result Mm. my social life my relationships the other parts of my career my music or whatever um, to, because to do that show every night. So that meant, you know, I had to have a lot of things, maintenance that I was doing every day, a couple of acupuncture appointments a week, um, massage, vocal lessons, not speaking, um, until 5 PM, you know, on certain days. And, and that was my focus, but I never didn't love doing the show. I loved it. 
And I loved the character and I loved my cast. And we had so much fun together. And to be able to play such a a character who goes on such an emotional roller coaster is so juicy. You can do it for a long time. And I'm not the type of actor who, you know, what you see on opening night is what you see on closing night. I will try new line readings every night. I will try to find new jokes. And the whole idea is... How can I be the most connected to this character? How can I live as this character and feel connected to this character for the entire show? And how can I hit every note perfectly? And how can I hit every dance move perfectly? And how can I get a laugh on all of these jokes? Like Mm -hmm. that challenge of the perfect show kind of brought me there every day, that challenge. And also having this cast that I love and we were having so much fun together that I didn't want to miss that. Right. You know, I mean, we, oh my God, we were crazy. But Oh my God. We, I loved your guys' TikTok you made at the reunion. That is so us. Cute. And that yes. Natalie Joy Johnson jumping into that water and literally yes. peed a little. I'm not joking to you. Oh my and God. It's, it's easy to do after you had a kid too. Like you right. laugh and pee, but- so that, that has been her from the beginning. And that is all, you know, and Paul Kanan, who wasn't doing the craziness, he was kind of, you know, that's him too. We had a lot of like spazzes oh. in the show doing crazy things. So when I say like, I wasn't delivering lines the same way every night, neither were these guys. So right. and when that happens, it makes you listen on stage. Yes. It makes you awake. The show is alive. The audience is listening too. And, um, Oh my God. And Andy Carl is an idiot. I mean, we're all such idiots and we were just, we got to be idiots together on stage. And this was the one thing I will say about the actors of Legally Blonde. They're character actors. Okay. Mm -hmm. And character actors are always looking for the joke. Oh yeah. And that means they're fearless. And then you just, the the element of surprise was always there. Like, oh my, oh, oh my God. So good. And hairspray too. Hairspray's yes. energy. Um, we just had our reunion too, and I, I honestly yeah. felt like I had to come down for it from it. I was so high because I, I just love these people and the, the experience and their wackiness and people. You know, oh, I love show people. Oh. I know it's know so people good. like show people like no people I know. <laughs> exactly, like they become your friends and family. Truly, like it's like no one else exists except like the people that you're working on a show with. I'll tell you, everyone else is boring after you've been around show people. It's so true. I know. It's so funny because literally you put like – this is why like I I wanted to like do like a podcast or something because like the conversations that are had between show people are literally second to none. Like they are some of the best conversations ever. They are some of the funniest conversations you will ever hear in your life. So I was like, this this needs to happen. And uh, it's just, it's so good. And I saw like, because I was in Neverland with Matthew. And so that's where I was like, oh my God, the whole Hairspray reunion. It was so like, it looked so fun. And I love that you've just been having all kinds of reunions because it's so true that community is just so special and so tight. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 I love the people in this industry, some of them, some of them, the performers of the industry are great. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'm going to let you go because th- this we've gone on long enough, but <laughs> this has been such a treat. Your story is so fascinating. And I loved hearing everything about your journey through the industry and women of tomorrow is so cool. So everyone go check that out. And uh, yeah, I just can't 
thank you enough for giving me your time and willingness to chat with me. Well, thank you, Eli. Thanks for having me on here. You know, I'm a performer. I really love to talk about myself. So. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, who doesn't, right? It's, as you should. You you have so much to talk about and so, and so many people want to hear from you. So thank you for giving me your platform for like an hour. Yeah. Now I'm going to go yeah. back to um, – you know, my dog vomited on the kitchen floor right before this. Oh, no. I think my husband picked it up, but, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we are living in the land of like, you know, mommy, I have to poop and oh, dogs yes. vomiting on it. So I'm going to go back to that real life, but thank you for allowing me the escape for the moment. Oh, my and, God. Um, I'm honored. And it's, uh, it's been fun. Thank you so much. Take a bow, Laura Bell Bundy. It was so great to talk to her. It was interesting to, you know, kind of get a little bit of a background on her. Uh, I totally did not realize that she was from the South, but uh, it was very cool. And just the way that she started in this industry, it's not the uh, typical, oh, I went to see my first Broadway show and fell in love. Like she started as like a pageant girl because um, that's just what she did. And um, it was cool. It was, uh, it was a good conversation. It was fun to talk to her. And just to, to see everything that she's been doing now uh, with women's rights and women's history and women of tomorrow is just so fascinating and so lovely to see across my social media and to listen to her podcast and all the things. Uh, she talks, she has some incredible conversations, really. Um, and it's conversations that you don't hear too often. So I highly recommend either searching those up, giving them a listen, whatever it may be. They're, that's also part of the Broadway Podcast Network family. So we're lucky to be in the same circle. And then, of course, the conversation surrounding Legally Blonde was just fascinating, you know, how she had to, you know, take care of herself on a weekly basis and the way that it all worked with the MTV stuff that was going on. It was like a new thing for Broadway and how the filming of that all happened. It was just, it was really cool. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation and thought it was really interesting. And hopefully you all did too. Hopefully you all learned something and hopefully you all will come back next week because that's all I have for this week's episode. So thank you for listening to this week's episode and stay tuned and follow us on social media at Take About Podcast. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Take About Podcast. Search and Take About Podcast on the YouTube. And uh, we have exciting content coming out. That's not like your typical podcast type thing. It's more uh, content with new shows that are coming out and opening night stuff. We are having a lot coming out soon. And obviously, I will keep you all posted for those of you who just listen to the podcast. And I'll let you know when all of that comes out. But the best way to really follow us and to be the first to find out about it is through our social media because the second it drops is usually when we post. So thank you again for listening to this week. And I hope to see you all next week because we have a very exciting guest with one of Broadway's top producers. So with that being said, I hope to see you all next week. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. For this episode's curtain call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Alan Seals, Kimberly Garris, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow are our fabulous editors, Jessica Lauren, who edits the audio of the podcast that you just listened to, and Tessie Tokash, who edits the videos and visuals for this podcast. And how about a bow for our executive producer, Chris Griner? And our final bow are extra special to the patrons, Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners of PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com slash TAB. 
If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure to subscribe on the platform that you are currently listening to this on, or go check out our YouTube where you can watch the episode. You can also subscribe, like, and comment on there as well. If you're more into the regular social media and want to follow us, you can do that at Takeabout Podcast across all social media platforms. The music of this podcast was made by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon, and the logo was created by Giselle Bustos. And that wraps up this episode's Curtain Call. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and I can't wait to see you next week. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.